Good morning, everyone. All right, let's do that again. Good morning, everyone. That's good. I can almost hear you from Maple Grove, too. Hello, Maple Grove. And uh, it's so fun to worship with both campuses this morning. Give it up for Maple Grove campus here in Spring Lake Park. And uh, what a fun day to come to church and it's starting to warm up outside a little bit. I think that everything just gets a little bit better from this time on in the year. The days are longer. There's a little bit more spring to the step and uh, just a little bit more excitement. And I get excited coming into church and uh, getting the opportunity to worship with everyone here. And, uh, you know, you got some pretty cool people around you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look good. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't, like, cause a problem with anybody in here, but we should be nice to each other. As we move toward Easter, uh, there's an opportunity for all of you, all of us, to kind of lean in and invite other people to the table, if you will, and ask if our family and our friends and our neighbors would like to come to church on Easter weekend. Many times people will come during that time of year. They wouldn't come any other time of the year, and it'd be an opportunity to invite them to church, and we're excited and praying toward that day. But I want to encourage you to pray. Pray hard. Pray for the people around you and pray for opportunities for God to use you to be the inviter. And then do a little bit of work, too, because you can't, you can't just invite them. you got to take them out to lunch or have a, a brunch or something around it on Easter. or yeah, Make it an event where you're not just inviting them to church, but you come with them and you hang with them a little bit. Uh, there's nothing worse than coming to a church and not knowing anybody. So if you're inviting somebody, you better be the one that is the best of the hosts. Amen? And uh, we want to encourage you to do that on that weekend. Today as we begin our new series, Here, There, Everywhere, we're kind of piggybacking off of actually kind of almost taking a baton handoff from one series into the next. I want to encourage you to consider a few things that God would do in and through you once your identity is found in Him. And uh, I'm a student of culture. I love to observe culture, uh, watch it. I get to see the dynamics of culture when they relate in families and that type of thing, if it's in the context of counseling. Um, I also am a person that has read a lot about different cultures, and so I have a big, thick book on my uh, desk in my office on cultures around the world and how to interrelate with them, and when there's conflict, what do you do about it? And, and sometimes there's differences between culture, but culture, let me give you a definition of culture. Culture is the way we do things around here, meaning when a group of people gather together, what is it that they do? Uh, if it's your first time here at Emmanuel today, you're getting to experience the way we do things around here at Emmanuel. And maybe you've never experienced something like that before, but it's unique to our church. But cultures have that. Countries have that. I come from the nation of Michigan. And... Uh, and uh, when I moved here several years ago, and I, uh, I didn't realize that I was, I was trained in the way we did things around Michigan, and they didn't do that that way in Minnesota all the same, even though we're one nation, uh, different states had different cultures, and uh, one of the ways that I discovered that there was major differences was in the area of driving. And... I can recall when I was growing up and I was even trained by the driver's ed instructors that when you are going slow, you get in the right lane. And, uh, and uh, you literally get honked at it if you don't. But what I discovered is when I moved to Minnesota, they don't train that in driver's education. 
And, uh, and so then I can get frustrated. As a matter of fact, I actually think that in Minnesota, there's a cultural pride in taking care of people and preventing others from getting speeding tickets. And so, <laughs> tell me I'm not saying the truth right now, right? That that slow person in front of me, they think they're doing me a favor. Um, Cultures, culture. families have cultures. Uh, uh, the way your family fought and the way someone else's family fights could be different. Um, I know uh, when I've done marriage, premarital counseling and marriage counseling, that our families of origin are often different and they fight different ways. Uh, cultures also have dynamics related to the weather. So warm weather cultures, cultures that are kind of steeped in warmer weather, uh, relate to each other different than cold weather. Warm weather, uh, they're kind of uh, more expressive. They're a little bit more exuberant. Uh, they like to hug, kiss, that kind of thing. And uh, we, we've got a number of uh, Puerto Ricans in our church and, uh, uh, who, and even many people from our Hispanic ministry, they're much more expressive. I love it. And uh, they love, they see what I'm saying? That's all I need to say right there. They're expressing themselves. In Maple Grove, if you didn't hear it, I heard some cheers <laughs> going up from, uh, from our Hispanic ministry here in the church. And then uh, cold weather cultures are a little bit more insulated. And, uh, and so there's like a two-foot rule between you and the person around you. Uh, let's not get too expressive and... Uh, and uh, one of the great cold weather cultures is Scandinavia. And the Scandinavian culture has a Im big impact on the state of Minnesota. And so in one of the early waves of immigration, and because uh, the United States is a melting pot, people came over to the seas, and Scandinavians loved Minnesota. And, uh, and they landed here, and they put a major stamp on the culture of the way we do things around here. And if you're from outside Minnesota, you probably notice it. You notice the distinctions. And if you grew up in it, you might not notice it. But there's a, there's a, a big, strong uh, influence. Of Scan How many Scandinavians do I have in the house? Now, see, that I want you to notice the difference right there between the you know, small hand number of Hispanic ministry that shouted, and I said, how many of you Scandinavians, and nobody shouted. Everybody raised their hand. Right there is the distinction between cultures. It's blatant. It's right there. So I was studying recently, and I was looking into uh, Scandinavian cultural distinctives, and there was a, a book that I ran across that has... Uh, kind of a rule of, of Yanti, it's called. And it's based on the, uh, a novel that was written and, uh, by the Norwegian author Axel Sandemose uh, in his novel, A Fugitive Crosses His Tracks Here. And what he did is he made uh, uh, into a narrative uh, the, the pattern of group behavior toward individuals within Scandinavian communities that kind of criticize individual success and achievement as unworthy and inappropriate. And so I want you to hear some of the things that were out of the rules of Yanti or your rules of Janti, however you want to say it, Yanti, Janti. First one is this, and this is what little kids were taught, not maybe with these words, but these are kind of the pressures. Do not think you are anything special. Do not think you are as important as we are. Do not think that you are wiser than we are. This is getting depressing, right? Fourth, do not fool yourself into thinking you are better than we are. 
Fifth, do not think you know more than we do. Sixth, do not think you are more than we are. Seventh, do not think that you are good at anything. Eight, do not laugh at us. <laughs> just dramatic pause. Nine, do not think anyone cares about you. And tenth, do not think you can teach us anything. Now, the interesting thing about the rules of Yanti is that they play out in different ways with families and kids as they grow up. The pressure to not stand out, the pressure to not uh, be too bold and to not brag and to not stand out in any way. Uh, the pressure could be on children, for example, so strongly that uh, you could be the best at something, but you could never say it. You could never share it. Uh, in fact, you could be like a world-renowned pianist, and if someone were to ask you that didn't know you, do you play the piano, you would say, yeah, I play a little. Uh, because you didn't want to brag and say. And so that culture has a way of uh, impacting people. Now, there's some elements of that culture that hold whole societies together. It, it, it keeps things stable. Uh, people don't take a lot of risks in that. But there are some truth in, in that we should not be prideful. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. But the the... Law of Yanti takes it to crazy false humility limits. And it's what I would call worm theology, where it levels people off so no one feels like rising above anyone else. The Japanese have a saying that actually fits into this, and it said, they say that the nail that sticks out is pounded down. In other words, don't stick out, don't stand out, don't be anything different than anyone else. And culture, now I'm not talking just about Scandinavian culture now, but I'm saying cultures around us in general can pound people down to put them in their place, to keep them from stepping out, make them feel like they are junk until they question their value to others and even to God. In a spiritual sense, it can have a drastic impact on our lives. It can have the appearance of humility, but it can be pride. It could be passive rather than active faith, a sluggishness that is difficult to overcome, a uniformity rather than true un unity that develops in us. It can be stifling to courageous leadership. It can stop and be, uh, have a, a spirit of judgment, judgmentalism and suspicion. It can put a cap on the emotions of children. A person feels emotionally restrained in some ways. And worst of all, if it's a collectively in a church, it can produce a climate in which new people are never welcome. Selah. <laughs> but here's the good news. The good news is Jesus and his message, Scripture is countercultural. In John chapter 1, I love this little passage just briefly. In John chapter 1, it says something about John the Baptist. It says in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I love the statement, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John had a name. It was an individual. It was somebody God picked. 
God chose to utilize. And I would say to you today that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ makes you unique. You were sent. You have a name. On the count of three, I want you to say your name out loud. One, two, three. All right? So you, God, if he were writing his scripture about you today, he said, there was a man sent from God, and all the guys say your name. That's his name. And then he would have said, there was a woman sent from God, and her name was? So you were sent from God, that you have a, 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 a value, that you have a purpose, that you have a name. It's not just a collective group, but that you are special, that you matter, that you are important. And when it comes to expressing the life of who Jesus is in us, that truly is countercultural to some things that we may have been taught. We are here like John was to bear witness about the light. And we can learn the truth of what Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. There are no mistakes in who God sends. No one is irrelevant or just a number or a lost cause. You truly matter. Turn to the person next to you and say, you matter. You really do. I love what Mark Twain said. He said that the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day that you find out why. There's something about the electric moment when you realize you're just not bumping along with no purpose to your life, but that you actually have a, de a destiny, a purpose to you. And if all of the, the, the voices of your life have said otherwise and they've kind of pushed you down or tried to make you conform to everything else and they've, they've kind of shut down the destiny inside of you, you might even hear the words that I'm saying and go, yep, that's for somebody else in the room. But I have news for you. When Jesus looks at the room, which he is right now, and you can see the big old eyeball in the ceiling looking down at you, if he looks at the room, he doesn't just see a, a crowd. He sees you. He notices you and he cares about you. You are significant. You matter. You're significant. You're not a salvage material. You have purpose. You have, if you don't have that purpose, what does uh, Proverbs 29, 18 say? Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Other versions will say they perish. They give up. They lose heart. People without purpose stop disciplining themselves. They kind of have nothing to shoot for. They have no motivation. They consider themselves to be irrelevant, and they reject opportunities because they don't want to fail. But Philippians 4.13 says, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we can miss the power of small, everyday choices if we're in a mode where we don't recognize who we are. Parents. Every moment of every day matters to your children. It's not just the one time that you got them the perfect Christmas gift that's going to shape them. It's every morning when you try to get them out of bed. Can I get a witness to that? And you're walking alongside them. And there are barriers to you remembering your purpose. It could be the phone and the number of minutes that you spend on Facebook when your kid is in the room. 
Well, my kid wasn't talking to me, so I had extra time. No, your kid, if you put it down after a while, might talk to you. And you're missing the moment that you're in a moment of purpose. Okay? If we, if we don't remember that we have purpose, we, we miss the fact that when we go to work, that we are at work or we're at school for a purpose. And if we utilize words like, I hate my school, we are saying, I hate my purpose. If we say, I hate my job, we're saying, I hate my purpose. So I'm, I'm trying to, bro. I'm giving it my best. I'm giving it my best. <laughs> All right, now. There's a shake that's about to come on us now. <laughs> Tedious, non-spiritual activity is connected to God's kingdom supplying hope to the people and the communities that he's called us to live in. You are not just on purpose when you come to church. Your life has a purpose. And when it comes to our purpose, our reason for living and what he's called us to do, Jesus declares a very clear purpose. And I want you to look with me today at Matthew chapter 5. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open up Matthew chapter 5. It's one of the greatest sermons ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, of course, is talking about all the blessed people. Blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you if you do that. And, uh, and the people that he's talking to, he's essentially, if you're a peacemaker, you're blessed. If you're seeking and thirsting for righteousness, you're blessed. But then he kind of turns the corner and he makes a different kind of statement in chapter, verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say if you're salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down and trampled under people's feet. Now, in this little passage here, I'll go to light in just a moment, but there are two metaphors that Jesus says to, to parallel us. In a sense, he's saying, you are this. And it's a metaphor, and the first one is salt. And salt was a preservative. And uh, preservatives were really important. It wasn't about the flavor. Uh, it wasn't about melting the snow in the driveway. I got a glove on here. And I have a fridge. How many are thankful for your refrigerator? I know I am. Thank you, Jesus. Steve's appliances up on Highway 10 said that we could have this for the weekend. And I said, I'll even say your name if you let me use that fridge. So I just did. And by the way, it's plugged in because I went and got some T-bone steaks this morning from Cub that I intend to cook later on. I wanted to keep them cool. So I got a, I got a T-bone here. And uh, this steak, how many miss grill season? You know what I'm saying? It's like the best time of year. Some of you, like, your mouth is starting to water, isn't it? Let's just tell the truth. Now, here's the thing. In Jesus' day, he had... Uh, a reality that we don't currently have. And that is, if they had meat, and uh, that meat, uh, if they didn't eat it right away when they killed the, the cow, this meat, if it's left outside, what would happen to it? it? 
Ooh, somebody said maggots. They let's say that with emphasis. Maggots. The uh, the meat would you know not do so well, right? And uh, it would smell, and you wouldn't want to eat it. So what they would do is they would pack meat in salt, and salt became Jesus Day's refrigerator, and it would keep it from decay. So when Jesus was looking at the people, he was saying, you are the refrigerator of the earth. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look like a fridge. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just got you in trouble. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> really what we gain here is a sense of Jesus looking at the world and seeing that the world in sin was on a pathway to certain and eminent judgment. And he knew between the moment they were in and the moment when they would be transformed, he needed salt to preserve them. And he needed the church eventually to preserve them. When Jesus left his disciples on the earth, he left them with his mission. And he said, I want you to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I'll talk about that passage a little bit later. But in a sense, he was saying, I need my salt to go to every corner of every society and every place on the planet. I need to assault the earth. In a sense, he was going after people because he cared about people. Now, many of you might think that God is a God of judgment and somehow he's out there to hurt bad people. That is simply not the truth. God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whosoever shall believe in him, they'll be, have eternal life. Now, here's, here's his pain. His pain is the pain of the gap. And his antidote for the gap is us. We are the fridge for the people he's called us to live around. Literally, you are assigned to be in the sector of society that you're in, not that you're going to stay there forever, but it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the people you're around. Now, some of you are like, I hate my school. I understand that not everything about school is great. But Jesus doesn't care whether or not you like school. He cares about the friends around you that have no hope unless you're the salt sitting right next to them at school. He isn't as interested in worrying about the, uh, the, the, the pleasure uh, rating on whether or not you enjoy your job. Although I believe that God will help us find our place and, and he will take care of our needs. I think he's just as interested in the people that you work around, even when they're jerks. He cares about them because where would they be without the fridge that's sitting right next to them? You matter to the people around you. It's not just that you matter or that you're significant. It's that you're significant for Jesus' cause to the people around you. You matter to them, not just for yourself. It's not some kind of narcissist religion. Jesus isn't just interested in saving you. He cares about the world around you too. He's interested in your friends, your family. Some of you wish you weren't born into the family that you were born into, but the reality is, where would your family be without you? 
What hope do they have without you? Well, I'm the only one serving Jesus in my family. Thank you, Jesus, that there's some salt in that family. Instead of going, I'm lonely. The church is where you can come back around all the other refrigerators. And you can encourage yourself to go back and be what he's called you to be. You are the preserving factor in people's lives around you. And I would say today, it's okay to be salty. It's all right to be salty. Turn to the person next to you. It's okay to be salty. What do you mean salty? Well, my boys have informed me that salty means that you got a little bit of an attitude. But in church today, salty means you are a Jesus preservative to the world that is around you. I know when it comes to how we live as salt, it has to do with who we are, not what we do. It has to do with, am I striving to know Jesus better? I'm not, I'm not perfect, but am I taking sin and confronting it in my life? Am I attempting to live righteous? Am I praying for the people that are around me? You know, there are people that God has called you to be with around that nobody else in this church is around. You're the lone salt. And you are the lone person that is called to pray for the people that are in your life. You gotta stay salty. Jesus said, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What chance do they have if you lose your saltiness? We need to remain salty. We need to keep our flavor too, I guess. You know, my wife, she loves chocolate-covered cherries, and, uh, and I don't want those things to get too old and stale, so they have to be eaten. Amen. So that's how we take care of it. The second metaphor that Jesus used was light. Everybody said light. Verse 14 of Matthew 5, he goes on to say, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a light lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Darkness is a powerful force. It conceals things. The darker the room, the less you see. Have you ever bumped into something in the dark? How did that feel? Anyone here ever been scared of the dark? Darkness causes uncertainty and bad decision-making. People who live in darkness make poor decisions. The people we live around, how many know there's some darkness in the land? But they're making stupid decisions because they have no light, because they can't see and they don't understand, and they need light. And that's why he says that you are like a lamp or a lantern. And this light doesn't mean a whole lot when I've got the lights of the platform on, does it? Doesn't really change a whole lot. But if I were to walk into darker parts of our platform, which, by the way, Hello Possible is going to help us with our lighting. <laughs> it's actually going to help you see your Bibles in church on Sunday better, too, because we're going to work with the lighting in here, and some of you have a hard time reading it. 
And some of you are like me, you're discovering that you just need larger font. Um, but if I'm walking along and you want to see me, it's hard for the cameras to see me right now because of the darkness. But that's why a light does a little bit to help. And now you can begin to see me in new ways. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? So Jesus says, you are the light, not the light of your pastor. You are the light of the world. You are called to be the light in darkness. In other words, the value of the light isn't to the light. The value of the light is to the darkness. And Jesus is very simply saying, you're the light. He calls us the light of the world. Now, some of you are like, but, but we're not the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Well, let's make this really simple. Jesus in you equals the light to the world. Jesus calls us the light, not of the church, but the light of the world. And listen to me, in the, in the age of political fires and people pointing fingers at everyone, anyone and everyone, we got the church pointing the finger at the church right now in the political sphere. He doesn't call us to shout at the darkness, point out how bad the darkness is, or protest against the darkness. You know what he calls us to do? Be the light. I'm asking you, church, to stop pointing out the darkness and start being the light. Shouting at the dark won't change anything. Shining your light in the darkness changes everything. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says, Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know, he says... He says, don't hide it. I brought my trash can from my office. Jesus said, you don't want to put it under a bushel. You want to bring it out so it can be seen and noticed. So the, the question is, are we hiding it or are we letting it out? Let's go back to Children's Church with me today. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it, let it, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, I'm going to let it. Hide it under a, all right. And then we could go on. Don't let Satan it out. I'm going to, okay. There's a whole bunch of verses to that. The point, obviously, is this. Jesus says, let your light shine. Yours. Individual lights shine. Collectively, we become like a city set on a hill. Collectively, together, many lights make a big city. But a city with no lights has no light. We need to be who he's designed us to be in this generation. You don't need to be your pastor's light. You don't need to be like someone else. You need to be your own light in Jesus. And he's calling us to be light. So let me summarize this now. First of all, you matter. Everybody said you matter. Turn to the person next to you and say you matter. Secondly, Jesus calls you to be what? 
salt and So if we're called to be salt and light, the question is when and where? When are we called to be salt and light? And when are we and where are we called to be salt and light? For Jesus, salt and light are a state of being, not a task to be checked off. So Jesus is not saying you need to witness to five people this week and that will count as being light. What he's saying is just be who I've designed you to be. I love what, what uh, many people have quoted so often that, that we must preach the gospel at all times, but what? If necessary, use words. I think sometimes it's necessary to use words, so don't let that be a cop-out. But we are to be the light. Not in the future, not some day when we get holy, not when we get enough money in the bank account or we finally get married, or when we, our kids graduate and we are done with that responsibility, not when everything is perfect and we move to the right neighborhood, or when we're finally away from that place in darkness. No, we are to do it now. We are to be his salt and light in this moment, light in darkness. And when Jesus is talking to us, he's not talking future tense. He's talking you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And essentially, he's not making it an option. The other things in, in Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes those were things that if you do this, you will be blessed. But this is not a negotiation. He says, you're my only hope. And I need you to be what I've designed you to be right now. I'm just asking you, church, not as if you aren't light or that you aren't salt. You already are. What I'm asking you to do is hide it under a bushel no. Let your light shine. I'm asking you to wake up and recognize today matters, and so does tomorrow, and the day after that, and every moment of your life, you make a difference because Jesus has assigned you to be his salt and his life. When Jesus left instructions with his followers, he said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, I'm going to send you outward. He said, I'm gonna take you from Jerusalem through Judea into Samaria, which is like going from Spring Lake Park to Anoka, to Elk River, and then to Duluth, <laughs> the ends of the earth. I'm just kidding. But he's saying it starts here. So the when is now, and where do you start? Here. It starts with your current circumference, the current place that you're in, all the relationships you have already. It's not when you get there, you'll get there and you'll be able to be salt and light. And it's not when you go on a missions trip to Africa that you become salt and light. You start right here. He does this through scripture. He does this geographically. He does this in the ascendancy of our lives as we grow we grow into families, we grow into careers, we go, grow throughout life. What God does in us is meant to keep bubbling out to more and new people.
Our careers move forward, our relationships, and even our resources are meant to be salt and light in those kind of circles. But it starts with here. Here, you, your family, your friends. What God will do through your life, what he always does through his kingdom, is to move outward with his salt and light witnesses. Now, Jesus said that you'll be my witnesses. You know what I love about that? He didn't say, you're gonna go and argue with people about how they're wrong. He didn't say, you're gonna go and you're gonna curse the darkness. He didn't say, I want you to go and tell all of America that it's all coming down. This place is going to hell in a handbasket. Let's move to Canada. (laughs) You know what he said? You will be my witnesses. All a witness does is tell the truth of what they've seen. All they do is just say the truth. This is what Jesus is to me. This is who Jesus is to me. And you might be imposed. Uh, it might seem imposing. It might feel overwhelming. You're like, I'm not one of those kind of people, Pastor Nate. You yell a lot. You seem really bold with a microphone. Uh, and you might think, I could never speak from a platform. You may not be called to speak. And by the way, there's a whole lot of, of uh, stuff that comes with that where people judge and people look at you and people expect things of you. But it doesn't matter the stage of where you are, but it starts here. We're going to talk about here, there, and everywhere this series. It starts right here. And Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses, but this is how you're going to be my witnesses. He's going to send his spirit to empower us to do it. What did it say in Acts 1? But you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Church, I'm just saying this. He never assigns us to do something that he doesn't give us the power to do. And you can make it this very day. You can make it this week. You can be the salt and you can be the light. You say, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the pressures that come at me. I'm just saying, I'm saying, I don't understand. And by the way, I don't want to know all your troubles. I can only handle so much. But I do know this, that in the middle of where you are, the Holy Spirit can empower you to be his witness, to be his salt, and to be his light. And if you are a person who has been raised in all kinds of baggage and voices in your life and people that have talked to you, maybe you were raised under the law of Yanti. I want you to hear me clearly. Jesus steps in and he cancels the lies and he sets prisoners free to not be afraid of sticking out, to not be afraid of being who he's designed you to be. If you will call and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I'm waiting upon you because I need power to make it through today, to be your salt, to be your light. Would you stand with me today?